0: We had it. We felt like we felt like we could, you know, get the ball out and then go ahead and to move it. I mean, they didn't. The time the, the timeouts don't have anything to do with them. I mean, you're down ten. They just moved the ball. Welcome to the Illuminati Podcast. I'm your host, Nathan Bond, alongside me as always, Robert Steag, Seth Varnador, gentlemen. How you doing? Great. How are you, Nate? What's I'm, what's new? Not much. Um but, I mean, if that if that quote from former head coach Charlie Strong didn't sum up uh, the last week or so of just uh, what the F is going on uh, with USF football, that I don't really know what is. That is a direct quote from Mr. Strong after last year's Temple game.
1: Ooh. Happy anniversary?
0: Uh, almost. Happy hmm. almost anniversary. It's a month away, but, I mean, we're playing the same opponent. So, you know. Opponent anniversary. So that's. Uh, where we're at tonight, Oy vey. it feels like it's the same thing over and over and over and over again. These things have not changed. I just read the game story that I wrote uh, for that game, and I'm just going to kind of take you guys through it when we get to that temple preview because holy hell, it is BAD, guys. At the top, I do want to discuss a couple things. We are still looking for a podcast sponsor. If you want to sponsor this beautiful podcast and, Get your name out there, your business. We are all ears, and we will hawk your stuff like a, like a newsie selling papes for, you know, a a penny a pape. We're here for you. Um,
2: I'll get it tattooed on me.
0: You heard it here, right here, just on the forearm. Heard it here, heard it here, folks. Steve will get the tattoo permanently on his body if you sponsor the podcast.
2: Right on my forehead. So when I'm Raymond James stadium as well, taking pictures amongst the, the heathens and the surfs they'll see podcast sponsor right there too.
0: No better way to do it, folks. Honest to God, no better way to do it. So with that out of the way, I want to start with some basketball news before we get into the debacle. That was last Saturday. There were some rumblings. I think, I think uh, Russ Wood from rivals had this for like a month or so. Um, But it was confirmed today by head coach Brian Gregory. Zach Dawson has decided to opt out of the 2020-2021 men's basketball season. Uh, It's an unfortunate blow um, to the guard spot. He averaged, I think, a little over, uh, I think it was like 6.6 points per game last year off the bench. Uh, Energy guy, pretty good defensively. had a three-point shot that was streaky at times. Um but it, huge miss there. Um gonna figure out how they're gonna replace him. I think Caleb Murphy's gonna kind of step into that role. Um from what I'm hearing, uh, Xavier Castaneda is probably gonna run point to at least start the year uh with Caleb off the bench and see get his feet wet and, and go from there. From what I'm hearing, the tournaments are still on. The one uh, in Atlanta, and then the one in, uh, I think it's what Fort Myers or somewhere somewhere down south. They're still on. They're looking for teams um, still because you know with all the game cancellations, they're still trying to figure out logistics, travel. Should we stay in state for the travel? Um, and they're they're still working on the schedule for for this season. Um, so there's that. Good news. Alexis Yetna, almost back. So, good news. Uh, the Brian, Bre- Brian Gregory said today that the final hurdle would be, uh, you know, those full contact practices. Um, so that should be coming up. Ferdy's around 90% there. That was uh, maybe a couple weeks ago. Uh, so, slowly but surely, I believe they start practice this Friday. And the women start tomorrow. So Wednesday, I think. Wednesday or Thursday, so basketball season's upon us. Both teams should be good. UConn's out of the conference, so women's basketball is a shot at winning a conference title. It um, would be the first one in one of the major four major you know sports: football, men's and women's basketball, and baseball since 1995. So it'll be nice um, for for us. All right, now that the happy stuff is out of the way,
2: I don't know that what is that, 1985 or 95? 95. Okay. That still makes me depressed. I haven't seen a USF championship in my lifetime.
0: Correct. Yeah, I mean, softball, softball still counts. But like, yeah. of, the four, of the major ones. Of the four major, yeah. So let's get into football. We've got some news uh, from Tuesday. Today's Tuesday. Yeah. So Tuesday. Jordan McLeod has been named the starter uh, kind of going forward. Jeff Scott announced that on Tuesday during his press conference. Uh, Probably shouldn't come as a surprise to anyone that kind of knows what they're talking about and watches the film and watches the game and understands how these things kind of work. He was, I believe, uh, 26 of 35 for just shy of 300 yards uh, last Saturday against ECU. He was not the issue, and we'll get into what the issue was. Uh, Jeff Scott uh, went on to say on Tuesday, uh, "I felt quote I felt like his timing with the wideouts was the best I've seen since I've been here, and that is something to build off of." Um, he had a lot of pitchers uh, with all their their with all their house blitz, where they're they're bringing more they like, can block numbers wise. They're about five or six. I don't know why it says pitchers. I'm reading off the USF
1: website so. You know, he's, he said pictures. His quote was. His, okay, let me, okay. His quote was pictures. His, he likes to talk in terms of pictures when he's talking about film. Okay. Fair enough. Like, a, night, like a 1930s Hollywood man. Yeah. Oh, that's a great say, picture, son. <laughs>
0: uh, five, or, five or six pictures uh, where he got the guy coming right down the middle of them. He stood in there and delivered a strike, took the hit, and showed some toughness. USF had four chunk plays of 20 or more yards through the air. Against ECU, uh, which is more than what they had combined the first three games, which was three, and you just kind of saw what they wanted to do offensively, and we'll get into that a little bit more. But it just seemed like the offense clicked, you know, it, it for you know for its shortcomings because the offensive line was still terrible, the running game was non-existent. He was still able to do some things. Um, Seth, you you sat up there. Uh, mm. with me watching this game. What, what did you see from a cloud? And, and you know, it, it, I mean, for better, for lack
1: of better word, was it the right call? Didn't even um, <clears throat> We're not in practice, but, you know, you're assuming they're not putting out guys that are uh, like the only, my only question before the game was, are we going to see more of Fortin? Just because I felt like we'd seen a lot of the other guys, but it's obvious that he's not practicing well. And then once you get in the game, I thought McLeod played really well. There's this, this, the, them losing was not really on him. I thought they could have done some things to help him out a little more, even that they kind of not necessarily handcuffed, but they they kept it really close to the vest early. And once they opened it up a little bit more, he played even better. So I think that's something that hopefully moving forward now with him, Um, another thing you've got to think about is he's probably been sharing first team reps in practice for four weeks now too. So since he's going to be the starter, he'll be getting pretty much all those reps or at least a good majority of them. And that may allow them to put more stuff in too. So I think it's the right decision. I thought he played well. I don't see how you could come to another decision after watching that game.
0: Steve, you were, you know, you were on the field level, you were in the plaza taking photos for us and doing the Instagram. Was there a, a, I mean, with the the 8,000 people or 11,000 people that were there, was there any palpable buzz or anything that you heard? I know I heard uh, some Noah Johnson chants after I think the fumble, you know, kind of early on. Was there anything that you saw from the field level that maybe we missed?
2: Yeah. um, I mean, the big thing that kind of stood out for me, and going back to Jeff Scott's quote for a second, is, is him talking about timing. I think that's been a bigger indicator of of how well Jordan McCloud has played these last couple of weeks and, you know, throwing Noah Johnson and Cade Ford and Marsh Martian there as well. He he definitely does have the best timing when it comes to his receivers, which is something that you don't really get a lot of fan support from as far as a like uplifting thing. Um, I was talking to a few people because I got, I got screwed photography wise, uh, you know, shooting in the plaza. So I, uh, I really got, the chance to talk to a few people and it, it seemed like everyone kind of wanted know what to come in once they started blitzing really heavily. Um, a lot, a, a few people thought because of the amount of blitzing, get Noah Johnson, you know, off his feet and get those chunk yardage plays. Hopefully he can uncork something. Um, you know, once, once they let off or something like that, uh, really like kind of how Quinn flowers really came to be, uh, with his elusiveness. but that was really the only kind of thing towards that game was a lot of people wanted to know what to come in just because ECU blitzed. I, I think about it, what felt like every single down, but from my perspective, watching the game and getting pretty unique angles um, behind the defense and, and kind of seeing how things were developing, you could see Jordan start to scan the field a little bit and start to get comfortable when he had time. Uh, that was the big thing for me that I, I kept on seeing was he would go to his first read. He would go to his second read and usually he'd start feeling pressure and I either have to run or, or dump it off. But he was at least starting his progressions, which I thought was a lot better than we've seen uh week one, week two, and week three prior to this
0: absolutely and, and the thing that we must you know keep in mind here is just Scott said it uh, on Tuesday during his press conference. this isn't a rest of the season commitment this is you're you are the starter this week, you are getting the first team reps, uh you're getting all the first team reps, and we'll go from there he he made it sure made it you know abundantly clear that if things go sideways for Jordan, he has no problems taking them back out, but he has earned the shot to prove that he can continue to be the full-time starter going forward. With with that being said, you know, you mentioned the timing, uh, what Jeff Scott mentioned with the timing, getting all the first team reps, as, as Seth mentioned, I think that the one guy who may really, really benefit from all this outside of Jordan McLeod is Latrell Williams. I think him, as well as you know, maybe Amara uh, Dawson, both showed great flashes, but I think uh, Latrell Williams is, I think, far beyond the the number one target for Jordan McLeod for a good reason. Uh, eight catches, I think, eighty six yards. He was he had seven for eighty one in the first half, and then ECU was like, all right, we're just gonna blitz. You're gonna have to keep everybody in in the second half, and basically USF had three receivers out you know every play and that's it's really tough to find people open when you can get pressure with four or five guys and even when you're blocking with seven that you don't have to you don't have to guard as much as many players
1: yeah and th- that was like that was one of my you know critiques we're not in the we don't get to see the you know the real film and everything so we're kind of just watching we get a good view of it from the press box but that was one of my kind of critiques after the game is, you know, you need to find some more ways to deal with blitz besides just keeping seven guys in to protect, because if I'm a defensive guy and I see that, I'm just going to, I'm just going to show blitz every time, get you to keep seven guys in and then I'll back off. And now you got to throw and I could drop seven dudes back there and you got three guys running routes. It's just, it, it, it limits what you want to do. And I think if your guys aren't great, in pass protection anyways, like, Something like these backs they talked about it today. Uh, Scott did about wanting to get a bigger back, and some of that was for pass protection. Well, if they can't block them, you can beat a blitz with the ball too. Run the back out on a wheel out of the backfield, run them on an angle route out of the backfield. They've done it before, they've run some angle routes in the backs out of the backfield, but um, you know, do that and just beat the blitz with the ball. So, I think that's something that will come with more reps too and more time as the one the single guy in practice. They have a blitz period now. I'm getting all the reps and I'm getting more reps at it. And other coaches trust me a little bit more. Uh Um, So I think you may see the offense open up a little bit more now that they've picked one guy and we can kind of throw more at just one guy instead of maybe having to rep the same play four different times to make sure everybody gets a look at it.
0: That's a really good point. I mean, the, the thing that I, I I really enjoyed you know, early on that I don't think they did as much toward the second half because they were keeping those guys in. They started by stretching the field horizontally with some quick hitters, the quick screens to Latrell Williams. Uh, I think Trey Dukes had one, Bryce Miller. They had some success there stretching the field, and then I think it was two, two screens, and then you hit Mitch Brinkman over the middle because you stretched the field a little bit, and he's wide open. So – some of those things maybe kind of got away from it and maybe went a little bit more standard, you know, passing attack, which is, it's fine. You know, they, they had a, a lot of, uh, you know, nice plays, but I think that's one way when this offensive line is just terrible, the running backs can't really block. That's one way to combat it. They, they tried to do a screen with the running back and the left tackle missed two blocks and it gets blown up for a negative nine yard gain. Like that's, that's something you got, you got to get it out to the, to your wide receivers. Latrell Williams is showing he can, he can make a guy miss. So I I think that's something that we need to, you know, watch going into this temple game is how they attack and combat some of the blitzing because, you know, historically temple blitzes a lot. USF was sacked nine times last year uh, versus this same temple team. So it's going to be something to watch as we get, uh, as we dig deeper into, you know, this week's game.
1: What's, what's, and, and a lot of their, I mean, just a lot of their, what they like to do too is they'll, they will, USF will have a run game called and they'll tag their screens on the outside. So the quarterback has the option to throw them whenever he sees blitz. And I think some of those, you just got to, you know, there's one, I'm looking at one right now where you got a Marion Dawson who showed him, he had a huge play. And he's a guy that every time he has the ball in his hands, it seems like something really good happens. And then you got him and Randall St. Felix on the same side. Now you're throwing the screen to St. Felix, who that's not quite his best game is catching the ball in space. He's a real great vertical, straight line runner, use his size and speed, but that's not really his game. To the screen, I wish they could kind of, you know, instead of maybe invert that, give Dallas in the ball, let St. Felix block and let him go in space. So I think they're finding some stuff and the quarterback's comfortable with it. And they're they're just going to fine-tune it now. and get a little bit more comfortable with it uh, all around. Yep. Uh,
0: Let's move it on to kind of debrief from this awful ECU game as we get deeper into it. I just have a question for for the group. Anyone can chime in. Um, What the hell, defense? Anyone, what the hell happened?
3: So how are you that inconsistent? And um, is it because... Mike Houston is finally coming into his own as a coach, which we all kind of thought was going to happen eventually. Or is that, wow, USF defense just really can't come together when it's needed. I mean, it, Colton Ayler's was in, was just delivering when he needed to. If he got flushed out of the pocket, he was making throws. They couldn't get off the field and turn down. And that's just an extension from last year. And that's one of the things we hoped to see improvement on. But they look decent. To great against Cincinnati, and then they just couldn't get off the field versus ECU. Some of that was turnovers, but some of that was just ECU was taking long drives across the field. I don't know exactly who you blame. They weren't really getting much pressure. I don't know if it was a blitzing thing. If they, if that if bring more pressure helps, that it just it, it looked like from our perspective that we were a little in over our head, and unless ECU comes, you know, roaring at the gate the rest of the season. I mean, that's what kind of looked more deflating than anything. That this is ECU's defense, which normally is giving up 50 and 60 burgers and you know, got torched by Georgia State. And now all of a sudden, is there consistency? Is this going to be just the year where you have the senior leadership and guys make it plays, but they can't get off the field and they get tired? I don't know. It was just very frustrating to see such a great performance versus Cincinnati and then just such a letdown at home, homecoming versus
1: ECU. Yeah, I think I think there's some caveats to the game the other night. Um, one is you have right, you still had some guys that are that are pretty important players for you out. Especially in the back end, you lost a little bit of depth, and then the first drive of the game, you lose another another player in the back end. So now, I mean, they were running guys out here. I was looking at Nate and be like, "Who is that guy? I've never even heard his name before." And he was like a junior or a senior, so he's been he was on the roster last year. I was like, I don't, I've never, I don't know who that is. So there was a little bit of that. Um, I think ECU had some found some stuff that gave USF some problems, and we'll go, we'll probably show that in the film room later on this week. But just some stuff where they came out with some double tight looks, and and USF didn't really have a good answer for it. It's it was most it looks like a personnel thing, kind of. But what what kind of troubles me the most is I think some of your better guys you're expecting to be your better players um, seem like they got beat a little bit in the game. I thought your corners got beat in main in main coverage. What appeared to be main coverage they got beat a couple times. And you really when you're when you're down you really have those guys really have to have a good game. And maybe it's a, putting a lot on their shoulders just because it's. You know, a lot of pressure on them, but they those are the guys you need to play well when the other stuff's not going well, and they also just didn't have their best game and no, they're not either, so I think it kind of compounded, a bunch of things compounded into what you saw, which was uh, not very good. I think on all three levels, I'm, I'm looking at the depth chart, and
2: I, it got worrisome to me when, and this is no, no offense to Brock Nichols at all, um, I think he's a fantastic player. He got extensive playing time obviously when Benson Davis went down and then beyond that. Yeah. And then beyond that, when Kaon Helton was getting extensive playing time. And I think that's probably the, when I saw him coming out on the field, uh, starting in the second half and everything, that's when I started to get a little nervous and, and a little bit more like, all right, this game's well out of hand now that we're throwing potential guys that were walk-ons two years ago. And and guys on this defense that hadn't played in a single snap of college football before, and converted guys. And I mean, Mac Harris is a fantastic converted linebacker, but that guy was a safety in high school. And then you have Brian Norris, who was a running back. You have
1: yeah, and, um, he, had a, and he had a big bust on one of the runs. Mac Harris, did, who just chased down the backside of the run and stayed home, and the quarterback pulled it for a big run on that first drive. So yeah, when I you mean, there play was- three safeties and you're down to like your fifth one. That's <laughs> not that's not great. <laughs> I think uh, Joey Knight had a little piece about it
2: where he was talking. I think thirteen scholarship players, or excuse me, sixteen scholarship players played, but a, a lot more uh, walk-ons and a lot more guys without scholarships played uh, on that defense. And I think I think we're seeing now how bad the depth is. I mean, this isn't just like your starting eleven is is decent, um, but once you start getting into those those second team and third teams, I mean, they're bad. Like, and I hate. I want to sugarcoat it, but once you get past pretty much Daquan Evans, Mikhaila point, Chris Townsend, some of the guys in the secondary, you're looking at a really bad defense. Um, when, you know, a starter has to come out.
3: So, so one question I have, and I, this might open up to something that's way more outside of what we can in the scope of the season so far, but how much can you point at, Hey, this is what the, the coaching staff came in and said, this is what we see. And this is who we're playing or, this is the guys we want to get experience. Cause we like what we see, or this is who we think is doing better in the practices we've seen. And how much is this COVID? How much is this guys are out because of contact tracing? Like, we don't know any of those numbers. Who's rehearse, uh, rehearsing. Sorry. My theater is <laughs> out again. Uh, who's been practicing and who hasn't, we haven't been at practice. We haven't been able to mm. do that. We're not getting information on who's out because of COVID or tracing or whatever. Like how much is that? This is what I was like, telling my buddies who were like, this is a devastating, a travesty. I'm like, look, we don't know any of this information. I don't know how much that plays into what we're seeing, but it just seems like how much is that due to just the nature of what this is with the brand new staff and personnel and how, how that plays out. I mean, I can't imagine it's, it's, it's easy to say like, Hey, we have a first or second team defense, but Hey, these four guys haven't practiced at all this week. So we're not going to put them in the game because they don't necessarily have the conditioning because of tracing and XYZ. I Y, Z. I don't know. I, I know it's kind of a, weird overarching questioning that works across the entirety of the spectrum but I mean that's something that was always in the back of my mind I was curious what you guys thought about how that looked at as personnel or
2: uh, coaching staff or COVID all of those different examples I think the COVID opt-out hurt us probably the, those uh, five defensive players who opted out Devin Gill Eugene Bowman Thomas Nance <laughs> Uh, John Waller and I'm missing the last one I'm looking for right now. I might, that might've been all of them, but I think those guys being out kind of hurt you the most there because those weren't, I mean, those were guys you could kind of say like, Hey, they're young besides Devin Gill, who was going to probably come in and and be your starting middle linebacker. You know, those are, those are young guys that were probably gotten really, really good, extensive playing time that you could have kind of leaned on to, you know, say, Hey, we're learning now you're getting, you know, juniors and seniors who haven't played. Uh, a single snap for USF basically aside from special teams that are now you're starting defensive end and, you know, you're starting nose tackling. So yeah, I, I think that probably hurts the most there.
0: I will say, you know, with, uh, Mikhaila point out, uh, Bentley Sanders out and then you lose Vincent Davis on the first drive. And then I don't believe Chris Townsville came back in after that bomb, uh, either cramped or pulled his hamstring, so he's out. So you're down four. Guys and on your back end. I think you're, you're I think. Call safeties. Yeah, I think you're, you're counsel <laughs> you wanna, safety. I you played three yes. <laughs>
2: You call Gabe McNeil and hope he can start playing now or Jordan Blackman, one of those two.
0: Right. So you're, you're down, you know, bodies here. Keon Helton, he missed, I think, all of last year with an injury. <laughs> He's been emotionally a special teams guy. His brother's doing all right at Florida State as a wide receiver. He got a touchdown against, uh, Georgia Tech, if I'm not mistaken, there's some very, very green, green guys back there. And the, the thing that you know, outside of the injuries, outside of the guys missing, the thing that really kind of sticks out to me is Mike Hampton does not look right. He he's been burned a couple of times, and I think he allowed two touchdowns last week, or allowed he definitely allowed one on a crossing route in the back. Did a of the couple. Zone.
1: A couple that were dropped that could have and easily have been caught.
0: That that. And so did uh
1: sales had one too.
0: The first drive for ECU, yeah. it's third and third and goal, third and six. Uh, Nailers rolls out left, great pass. Wide receiver just drops it, and I believe it was Mike Hampton in coverage. So, God he got super lucky a couple of times, but he's just not been the same. And that, for some reason, that's just the history of USF corners. One guy, like, since, like, Jenkins and 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 Trey Williams, like, it's always been, like, one's been really good, and then the other one kind of sucks. And then it flips. And then the guy who kind of sucked was actually really good. And then his his partner was as bad as, you know, Mazzy Wilkins, Dietrich Nichols. It, they never were equally good at the same time. And that's been the frustrating part for the better part of, uh, four years, uh, for USF and it, it it's unsettling that your, your senior corner is continuously getting burned, uh, you know, in man coverage, it's not, you know, zone and, you know, that his back end safety help is kind of on the coverage. It's man to man, he's still getting kind of work there. So, uh, something to watch out for luck. Luckily, uh, temple doesn't have any good wide receivers. Oh, wait, wait. Oh, no. Oh, shit. Oh, oh, Lord. Oh man. We'll get into that in a minute here. Is Bryant still there? Oh, God, no, but they've got is another it, dude. That's, is it
1: Matt Brainy Mack is that his name? Brandon
0: Mac is, uh, he's just good. a 6'5" 220 Yeah. He's a good player.
1: I, I think another thing that's kind of, we're through four, four games, right? Yeah. So four weeks of the season, if you're not counting camp, right. I mean, spring is you get roughly about four weeks of practice. I think one thing that you're seeing is that because I, I just talking with knowing people um, and, and hearing things from what the plan for the, the, the last step was before uh, they got fired. They had plans to bring in a bunch of players from junior colleges and things of that nature to try to shore up some of these positions. Um, offensive line was one of them. Uh, but they got fired. So the the new staff did not get a spring to look and evaluate their roster, like in live and in person. You always think, okay, well, you know, maybe, you know, you know, we could fix some of these things. But once you see it live, then you might be like, okay, we need to do, all right, this summer, we need to go hit the portal hard for this, this, and this. They didn't get that opportunity. So this is kind of right now their first four games of the year is kind of like your spring practice—you got four weeks of practice. Now you're really understanding, know where your roster is at. I think uh, Jeff Scott even kind of said, "Hey, we something to that effect." Okay, we we know what we got, we know where we're at, we know what jobs ahead of us. Basically, so that's another kind of you know, just missing spring football is not just installing stuff; it's also understanding your roster. And I think they're just starting to kind of get a hold of it. And you add in the COVID stuff where guys are out for practices and. It just creates a really, really tough environment for a new staff um, that's not inheriting a bunch of overwhelming talent.
0: That's a perfect segue to, to the next part of this. Uh, the offensive line was finally together for the first time this season, You know, going left to right, Donovan Jennings, Demetrius Harris, Brad Cecil, Michael Wiggs, Jared Hopple, and it didn't really – proved too fruitful they still had to bring guys in to protect with backs and tight ends running game was non-existent and Jeff Scott said on on Tuesday communication chemistry that's going to be a thing that's going to be an issue they haven't they haven't practiced together completely in over a month at this point um just due to contact tracing being out with COVID injuries, what, whatever it was, they haven't been able to find that cohesiveness. And that's what he said. It's really tough to build chemistry, have the right communication on, you know, protections, making sure you're going the right way. Who, who has, who, who am I passing it off to And when you don't practice together? And I think hopefully versus Temple, we'll, we'll see a little bit better chemistry, Lord willing. No one Uh, no one else is out with COVID, Uh, but who knows? So this isn't going to get fixed overnight. This is not, I think chemistry can only go so far. Talent's got to win out at some point. And I don't know if we see it anytime soon. I mean, the left side of this offensive line was around when USF gave up nine sacks against this temple team last year. So I'm not really sure how it's going to work. You know, uh, Jonathan Jennings went out early that game last year. And then they had um, Jeremiah Stafford in and it somehow was worse. And then they had Jared Hopple in and it got even worse. And then they went back to Stafford and then went back to Hopple. It left like it was just, it was a complete mess and it's not getting, it has not gotten any better and it's not going to get any better until you get new people in here, but that's okay. That is okay. That's where we thought, he'd be. Maybe. I don't know. But there's a question from, from Jamie here that I think we probably touch on here. Um, you know, the question is, what do you consider acceptably bad and unacceptably bad? Was Saturday unacceptably bad? Let's uh, let's start with Stieg here.
2: And I, I think this isn't going to surprise anyone when I get my answer of I, I I'm kinda I, I think that's acceptable. I think right now with with what's going on in the world outside of football, what happened and transpired at the end of last season, the players that we saw last year and, and the morale and, and everything. <clears throat> I i hate to say it, but I, I think this is I think we kind of need to accept the fact that this team is bad. They're going to get blown out by nearly everyone else on the schedule. I think there's a, there's a chance they're going to pull together a, a a victory somehow, mostly due to the mistakes made by the other team. I think this team is is surprisingly well disciplined, um, which I really enjoy because that's that's a quick overnight change that I didn't expect was going to happen. Um, you know, sans the Vincent smoke, you know, targeting penalty and, and a few things here and there. I think the penalties that were, that we had this game were were acceptable penalties to have, you know, you're going to get mental lapses, especially when you're getting blown out like that. And they didn't let that get to their head. Um, but as far as what my expectations were for the season, they got a win. I really thought we were going to lose the Citadel because of everything that was going on prior to this game. So, or prior to uh, the season, so that's a victory in my book. And and i hate to say it. Face the fact, we're going to get blown out by Temple. We're probably going to get blown out by Houston. We're definitely going to get blown out by Tulsa. Um, and and God hope that UCF has mercy. Let's McKenzie Milton, you know, play the second half or something like that with a little patty cake or something, so they don't rub the score too much on us because this team is bad. But that's okay. And and. Bad teams can get turned around with good off seasons, good transfers coming in. You know They have a pretty good freshman recruiting class that's currently um, committed to us. So there's light at the end of the tunnel. The tunnel might be two years away, but I'm, I'm fine with them looking like absolute dog shit this year. Because that once you hit rock bottom like this, like people can look at you know, 2013 as rock bottom or you know, a couple of years under Skip Holt being well, like, this is about as rock bottom as you can physically get with everything going on. You might as well had every single player that had contributing numbers transfer out last year and you bring in a bunch of different guys, because that's basically what we have right now. This is a year negative one team.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I I wouldn't say it's unacceptably bad. I mean, you know, uh, there was, there was someone on this podcast last year saying that if you bring in a whole new staff, your best, it's not going to be your best chance of being good next year. Your best chance to being good next year is keeping the same staff, but that's not what you're going for. You're, if you want to be better this year, you'll keep the same staff, and this was before all the COVID stuff happens. It's hard to come in with a whole brand new staff with a team that doesn't have a ton of talent and you're coming in late and recruiting, and then all the other stuff on top of it. This isn't unexpected to me. This is kind of the transition, and then you, you add in a bunch of other stuff on top of it, and it, this is kind of what you'd expect. I thought they'd play better against ECU. That was a little unexpected. Um, I thought they'd be able to do some more stuff because I thought this ECU team was worse than the one they slapped around last year, but they didn't. So, and there are some extenuating circumstances with guys being out and unfortunate penalties and things of that nature. So I don't, I don't, I don't think it's unacceptable. Um, You didn't see anybody quit. You didn't see guys going nuts on the sideline, anything like that. Like, you like Steve mentioned, the penalties are way down and you're seeing something, some good things and some flashes and you're seeing some guys you can build on towards the future. And I think as long as they keep doing that and proving, whatever happens is fine. I don't, if you were expecting them to bring in a new coaching staff and all of a sudden be great, then, you know, you weren't watching last year or paying attention when we were talking about it. So.
0: All, all valid point. I I think this was pretty unacceptably bad for game four under a new coach, you know, Glenn Spencer said last week, Hey, these aren't freshmen anymore. These aren't freshmen anymore. They've, they've played plenty of games. I I don't think we've seen, I don't know, maybe the progress that I would have expected. I'm not expecting, you know, day and night progress, uh, from game one to, you know, game 12, that kind of leap. But I, I don't think we've seen any progress from game one to game four in some of the trouble areas that we, We've harped on, we've noticed preseason last year that I think the the one improvement is probably penalties. Um, I don't think the passing game has been consistent enough. The running backs are you know non-existent. You know I don't think anyone's carried the ball over 10 times or 10 to 12 times uh, this year uh, in a game. Why receivers are not getting separation, that's been, that was a recurring theme last year. Latrell Williams finally had a bit of a breakout game. The tight ends are... Basically, you know, you just switch one Mitch for another Mitch. I think the offensive line has somehow gotten worse, but that may be due to COVID and having to shuffle people in. Defensively, I mean, God, man, it's really tough to really swallow the pill of letting ECU basically do whatever the hell they wanted offensively. And... I, again, I know with injuries, COVID, that's, that's tough pill, but man, that, that's just really bad. And then special teams is worse. It's so much worse than it was last year. And it like, I don't, I don't get how it can be still so, so awful. USF signed a new kicker this week. We'll see if he gets any playing time. Um, I know Scott said last week he was looking for someone to boot the ball out of the back of the end zone. Spencer Schrader was able to do that a couple of times, but not consistently last week. The kick return game's fine. Johnny Ford and Jack Wes Evans are really good. And whenever Terrence Horn kind of gets going again, it's another dynamic option. But, man, long snapping's been brutal. I mean, you got a video guy be, being your long snapping, long snapper. Uh, punting's been pretty terrible. Trent Snyder's definitely taking a step back, and then kicking's just been a black hole for the last two and a half years. So from game one to game four, the only thing that I can put a stamp on, yes, this is improved, is penalties. What do you do? I I mean, and, and to their credit, they're getting everything out of those penalties. I think they're averaging like 4.25 penalties per game and their average uh, penalty yards per game is around 50. So these are, (laughs) you're not getting the, you know, the five yard ticky tack stuff. You're, you're going for it. When you, when you commit penalties, holding pass interference on conduct, I mean, you're, you're really going for it. So kudos to them. So they're, they're making their penalties count, I guess.
1: Those are penalties of effort. That's all right.
0: (laughs) Exactly. Or
1: penalties of getting beat. (laughs) One of the two. <laughs> well, I mean, you're not to get beat, so you can grab somebody and hold them.
3: I feel like nobody remembers 2013 McNeese State when we say, like, unacceptably bad because something about, like, being in a very incorrect offense for what we have and then also getting mollywhopped by uh, an FCS team was unspeakably terrible. Uh, he, I also feel like we're not giving enough credit. I know it's kind of silly to say because this seems like a bad team, but like Mike Houston is a good coach and has been there a couple of years. This is Jeff Scott's first year with COVID. I'm not saying this is great. That was very depressing to see, but there's definitely glaring issues that need to be fixed. Uh, to go to your point about other things outside of penalties, uh, time management is definitely improved and they're not kicking sad field goals. And I know there's a lot of people who did not like going for it on a fourth and five, I want to say, inside their own ten when they should. They wanted them to kick a field goal. But you're down a couple scores. I You think you have a play that you like. That kind of stuff I do enjoy seeing to where it's not... We're going to be extremely vanilla with what we're doing and we're going to see what happens. I'm not sure if that was trust or lack of trust in the kicking game, but um, those kind of things as a coaching staff I do like to see. Now, I mean, depending on how the rest of the season goes, we'll see. But I kind of think that... I wouldn't necessarily say like unspeakably terrible because I also don't, I also think like a USF floor isn't as high as some people want it to be or think it is. And this is kind of what the floor is and it's not very good, but they did get a W not that that matters that much, but I'm not going to go ahead. And uh, there's one thing I I heard on um, the split duo podcast with Stephen Godfrey as a guest, he came on and said, nobody should ever, or Uh, no coaching staff should be judged exclusively on what's happening in 2020 with everything going on. So that's kind of where I agree with, and I don't want to set expectation one way or the other, just based on what we're seeing right now. I know it's frustrating and upsetting, but I don't know. It's It's let's see what happens. It's reality. Let's see what happens. It sucks. But I also think sometimes that needs to happen. That kick in the gut needs to happen to realize this is where we go, and we're either going to get there or we're not, but it's not going to happen instantly.
0: I completely agree. Um, we suck. We're going to suck probably this year, next year, but that's okay because I, I think everyone on this podcast trusts that Jeff Scott's going to get <clears> – of <throat> me – is going to get this turned around. He's too good of a coach, too good of a recruiter not to turn this around, um, and I think he's got the right pieces in front of him. He has the right leadership in place with Michael Kelly that they, I think they share the same vision for this program and uh, they're, they're going to get it right. But man, we're going to have to suffer through some nasty shit. This is going to be some like baby soft, like doo-doo for a while. Like just be prepared, but it will get better. This is like having to wipe your baby's butt for like two years. And then they figure out how to do it themselves and they're potty trained.
1: If you're
0: lucky if you're lucky shout out Olivia for learning how to do all of that in the last like three weeks It's been game changing honest honestly
1: here's a, I have a question. I think this is something that we need to think about too. Um, not this is more of a micro issue I'd say or let's let's recontextualize the Cincinnati game. Cincinnati turned the ball over five times. Turnovers are a bit random. I think the USF kind of played out of their mind, was able to generate turnovers, which isn't always something you can do. I think you can be prone to turning the ball over as a player. Like, quarterback, some of them are prone to turning the ball over. But it's tough to just generate turnovers on defense. So you generate five in one game. Maybe the defense really didn't play that well. Maybe they just did generated five turnovers and were able to hold in some red zone situations. So maybe the, our expectations shouldn't have been that high coming into ECU. I know my after I thought Cincinnati had a pretty decent offense. So after seeing them play pretty well, I thought, you know, all right, so this ECU team's much worse. They should be able to hold them down. But maybe, you know, if we go back and watch, maybe Desmond Ritter and he did miss some open throws, maybe some bad throws turn into picks. And so maybe it's not as bad as we, the ECU wasn't as bad as we thought. It's just Cincinnati was a little bit worse than we thought. And it's kind of caught up to them, I guess, ECU. I,
2: I think it harks to unironically the day that we're recording. This is, um, USF football has a, has like a certain day of the week for, for certain focuses and, and today's Tanoga, uh, which is takeaways, no giveaways. Um, that was, I mm. think, the most staggering thing to me was um, defense didn't produce any turnovers. I, I feel like there's
1: they, they need to. They're not able yeah, to sit
2: and like take shots next, and take a bunch of plays. Yeah, and, your next win is going to be because the other team makes mistakes and and, and 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 turns the ball over. I know that's a big focus that Jeff Scott was having. Um, and and to the credit of of the players against Cincinnati, you know, they, they did help force those turnovers. Matt Harris played great to, um, to, uh, to, you know, keep the, keep his vision and, and, you know, look at Desmond Ritter and, and see where his eyes were going to get the pick and that Mangum forcing the fumble and Chris Townsend making probably one of the best interceptions I've ever seen, um, through, through good, um, what's it called? Di- not dynamics, uh, but good vision of, of where the ball was going to be, uh, to make the pick in the back of the end zone. But against ECU, when you can't force ECU to create or to turn the ball over, you know, that's that's really, really shocking to me, Um, especially because that's been been a big focus. They weren't ripping for balls. They weren't, you know, ball hawking as much. I feel like they were playing catch up, you know, from the get go.
3: Well, a a big thing there, and and this is just where I I harp on it and whether that's Glenn Spencer's defense or just (laughs) luck of the draw, uh, Cincinnati was four for 14 on third downs. That's good for 28%, where ECU was 6 for 14, good for 40, a shade under 50. That's kind of where it is. I mean, I've never played football, so this is going to be really bad for this. And I'm sure whoever would let listeners like, you didn't play football. Get off this podcast. But um, it's one of those things where if you give up a third down, especially a third and long, which from what I was watching, my perspective seemed like that happened most of their conversions. That's got to be a big old blow. So maybe that means you miss an assignment next time. Maybe that means ECU feels a little better and they're able to make some more catches, but Holt Naylor's was able to deal on third down a little more better than Cincinnati. Uh, you know, part of that's intercept um, the interceptions and the turnovers, but I mean, that was huge. And, you know, you can, we, we've seen this happen here. I've seen it happen in the pros. We have all kind of seen teams do that. When you start giving up third downs on defense, you get exhausted. It starts mounting and that, could have been part of the problem. So maybe you see that against Cincinnati, they were able to stop that a little bit. So the deficiencies weren't there as much, but against ECU, you saw it that can change game to game, but you know, good teams are able to get off the field on third down, whereas bad teams aren't. And then that kind of helps weigh on you, at least from my perspective. I know Seth, you've coached. So you, I'm sure you can see, and you've played. I think you're right.
1: You're right on. I mean, especially if you don't, if you lack depth, Third down conversions means more plays. So if you can't get off the field on third down, now I'm facing more. I'm facing another, you know, possibly, most likely, another at least three plays. Or if I get off the field, now I get a rest. I don't have to face all these extra plays. So I think that's – I think you're right on with that. If you can't get off the field on third down and you have low depth, that's really going to hurt you because you're just going to be on the field even longer. And it's not like you can bring in reinforcements.
0: Yeah, uh, I, I agree with the premise here. I just want to quickly uh, fact check there. Uh, they, they were, Cincinnati was 10-17 to 17 on third down, so they USF still had major problems there. They were just able to create the turnovers, but the, the premise of um, not being able to get off the field on third down has kind of been prevalent throughout. I think the last truly good time that USF was able to stop a, a team on third down consistently was against Temple last year. I think Temple was 5 of 13 or 4 of 13 uh, last year against USF. And I think that's um, you know, probably a, a good way to transition into this this Temple game this weekend uh, at noon on ESPN+. Plus. Um, we'll have the link for our affiliate link. If you guys haven't already signed up, you should. Um, helps us out um, you know, with the future of the blog. Uh, so we'll, we'll have that in, in the description of the pod real quick. Temple had couldn't schedule a non-conference game um, after COVID hit. So their first game was actually last week. It was a conference game uh, at Navy, and they almost came back and won. Um, they lost 31-29. They scored a touchdown with a little over a minute left and could not convert the two-point conversion. And uh, Navy ended up uh, winning the game there. Um, they looked pretty pretty good. Um, average five yards of carry, uh, turn the ball over. Let me see. I think they turned the ball over once, uh, interception in day. the red zone too. So, yeah. Um, the thing that kind of jumps out to me, just like kind of looking at their stats here is that they, they rushed the ball 33 times. They only lost three yards. So they, they rushed the ball 33 times for, uh, 166 yards. Um, and, only lost three yards uh, all, all day, uh, which is really, really impressive. Um, averaged over 11 yards uh, completion. Um, held Navy to under 300 yards. Uh, they had over 400 for themselves. Man, I, I really kind of worry about this game and how uh, how they're going to do. Um,
1: I regret to inform you they went 8-12 on third down, which is number one in the country right now. 66.67%.
0: And two for two on fourth. There you go. So, um, tight, tight, tight. As we as we kind of touched at the top, they've got some stud wide receivers. Like, stud wide receivers. Um, I believe, let me double check. Jaden Blue. Brandon Meck. Uh, Jaden blue is, uh, Oh, Brandon Mack's also amazing. But blue yeah, the, fact,
1: that, the fact that you, uh, boasted different names is not, uh, <laughs> it's a little troubling,
0: right? Uh, Jaden blue is the guy who torched USF for 11 catches, 121 yards last year. Uh, Brandon Mack, uh, just had the one catch for 21 yards last year, but Brandon Mack is six-five, two hundred and twenty. 220 Jaden blue is six foot one-eighty-five. And then they've got, uh, I believe, another wide receiver here. Zero Randall Jones is Randall like the Jones. third,
1: the third guy. He's
0: the third guy who's uh, also six foot one eighty five, and
1: I think he was hurt for most of the last year, so he's uh, he didn't he didn't get to see a ton of him last year, but yeah, from Miami. So
0: yeah, he finished fifteenth in the nation in yards per reception at nineteen point three five. Don't believe he caught a pass. No, um, he did not catch a pass. But God dang man, they've got. A fr- I don't understand how Temple continues to
1: have good wide receivers. Yeah, they had some graduate last year too. They were, I thought they had four or five really good ones last year, and then three of them were back. So, so
0: I, I don't I don't get how they uh, how they do it, but they're going to be really good, really tough. And- Thankfully, uh, USF secondary isn't banged up and missing guys because this could be a really uh, nightmare scenario for the Bulls as we head into Temple and try to lick our wounds um, going into the, the last part of the season here. Seth, oh, man, what what have you seen from Temple? Uh, you know, understanding uh, as Coach Scott uh, mentioned this week it's really tough to gauge how their defense is going to be because they yeah. played a triple option team the first game. So you've got to really kind of look to last year's tape of what they can do defensively, uh, you know, schematically with the same coordinator and whatnot.
1: Well, I, 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 I haven't watched last year yet, um, but they lost a ton of really good players off that defense last year. So I don't know if they're going to be as talented as the defense you saw last year, but they still have some talented guys over there. Um, Schematically, it's like you said, it's hard to tell. I've been watching Nate, the Navy game. They did some odd front stuff, but sometimes that's just this change-up for the triple option. You go to some odd front, odd front looks just with that. So I'm not sure if that's their base or not. Uh, but I, I'd imagine you're going to see the rest of the year, you're going to see people playing main coverage and attacking, um, and make, making USF beat them down the field, winning one-on-ones in main coverage. So I wouldn't be shocked if you saw that offensively, kind of um exactly what USF probably doesn't want to see, and what ECU gave them some problems with is they'll go two tight ends, they'll go uh one tight end through receivers. So they'll mix up their personnel, but they can go big and run the ball right at you, and then also use play action off that to get those receivers open underneath and down the field. So um Kind of the exact opposite. Would you like to see for USF? Um, Kind of a little bit what ECU did, but the players are better. So probably not 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 great. Not a great matchup.
0: No, and as I mentioned at the top here, uh, Temple sacked USF quarterback uh, Jordan McLeod nine times last last week, or excuse me, last year. So it's going to be a huge issue here for for the Bulls, uh, def- you know, offensively against this defense. Even with Rod Carey as the head coach, Temple still is usually fairly good at defense, and it's going to be tough for this team. They, they averaged 1.6 yards a carry last year uh, against this Temple defense. How, how can USF win this game? What do they have to do offensively, defensively to win this game?
2: I'll start and start with the obvious that I kind of just already harped on um, forced turnovers. You have to, you have to force either a mistake from Anthony Russo um, force a fumble of some sorts. I, I don't foresee our defensive line playing that great against uh, temple uh, temple didn't give up a sack against Navy and Navy has a pretty good pass rush this year. Um, so I, you know, they're, they're returning a pretty good offensive line per per usual. Um, so you're going to have to force Anthony Russo to to force some throws and and make some mistakes there, um, and then offensively, I mean you you have to spread the field as much as you possibly can. Um, you have to make uh, Temple uh, stretch horizontally a lot, whether that's through um, jet sweeps, wide receiver screens, and and hit the middle of the field and and get your playmakers in space and put the ball in the playmakers' hands as quickly as possible. Um, I, I think you can get a big game out of Latrell Williams because you know, one-on-one, you know, we might get, we might get some lucky throws out of Jordan McLeod, um, hit him on some um, slants or, or some easy routes here and there. Um, but evidently, I mean, you gotta, you're going to have to get lucky in this one. Um, I think Tipple might be the worst matchup we have right now. And like Seth was saying, like this, <laughs> this is not the team you want to play after you just got your ass whooped by ECU. Like this, this is going to show in more glaring issues. And I mean, you have like. Temple has the the blueprint to beat USF like right now, like with what they just saw against with ECU.
1: Yeah, I think you're the it's important every game to win these two categories, but really important when you're the underdog is you got to win the turnover margin, and I think you'd have to win it somewhat handily. and you need to win the explosive play margin. If you can generate explosive plays against the blitz somehow, that's uh, offensively that's going to keep you in the game. Uh, I don't think you're going to go up and down the field. This offense is going to go up up and down the field for long drives on anybody. And then you have to win the turnover margin. Um, Keep your defense off the field. Win the turnover margin. Maybe get some short fields that you can get easy scores on. That's how you win the game. Um, I don't think you're going to win just a straight up, uh, you know, trading possession for possession with anybody.
0: I've got a, a surprise guest here. Colin Jones has popped in colin you you you've watched the game here and there
4: so i I was just actually I just popped in the room because I wanted to hear what you guys were gonna say. I didn't really have like <laughs> too much to to add. um we suck, it's fine. like it, they didn't play very hard, and I don't like that, but I think that's sort of the natural cause of of the t- turnover of COVID of everything that's hit this program. Um, the lack of effort wasn't great. I, I don't want to see that sustained obviously, because you, you the only thing you can control is effort. Um, your players are very bad, but you still want them to play hard and that's not good. But like, you know, I mean, I, maybe I'm old and cynical. Okay. I'm old, but the, it, like we went through this with Willie, you know what I mean? Two and 10, four and eight, like, Those kids, all we heard was how much they loved it. They didn't play very hard at times. You know, they just didn't. And and that was part of like building the program and bringing it back to where it needed to be. And this happens. I'm not upset about it. But yeah, the effort, I've definitely seen better effort out of a USF football team before. I don't think they tried as hard as they needed to. But let's give Jeff Scott and the team a chance to pull that together. I said this to you guys in Slack earlier this week and I stand by it. I think if there are 60-ish guys on the roster at the end of this season, that's okay. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like <laughs> it's time to it's time to turn some folks over. Um Sunny Dyke the, style. Sunny Dyke style. Yeah. Transfers, JC. 30, um,
1: 30 transfers.
4: Yeah, not just FTIC kids, man. Like we need we need a whole we need to hit them at multiple different levels. We need to hit Um, some upperclassmen that can come in and make an impact right away. We need to hit the transfer market for guys that want to play one or two more years. And we need to get some base in um, some quality freshmen that can build all the long-term sustainable program. But um, we're bleeding, we're bleeding in two different directions right now. We got, you know, the paper cut and we got the full, the full open wound and uh, we need to stop them both, but let's stop the full open wound with uh, JC kids and, and transfers first.
0: I agree. I agree. And I, I don't know how USF wins this temple game. I, uh, there's not a single part of me that thinks USF can win this game. And which is unfortunate because I, I think Jordan McLeod is going to be the guy the rest of the year. I don't know if the defense is going to be up to snuff. I, I just, it was Temple's really, bad, man. it, it was, was really
4: disheartening. Russo still stinks. Like they, they lost and Russo still stinks and they're a 10 point favorite. How bad are you when you're a 10 point dog to Anthony Russo? Like, come on,
0: I think that team's trash. Yeah. And it's unfortunate because he has guys at the skill position on like a situation at USF where there aren't really guys like their top three wide receivers that we were just mentioning, it. They're, Really good. They've got a 6'5 yeah. through 20 dude that's amazing. And he's not even he's not even the dude that worked over USF last year. It's just another guy and another guy. And it's it's really frustrating to see that Temple of all places continually churn out these skill guys. Vintel Bryant is
4: don't even get me started. Jefferson High School. It's so stupid. How how a kid like that now he's graduated, but like a kid like that, how how does that kid get away? How? Like that's insane. It's one thing if he goes to the UF or Florida State or someplace like that, but when you listen, that kid to Temple, that's a failure. On the that's a, an assessment of his talent failure, or it's a recruiting failure, or it's a failure somewhere along the way. That just can't happen. That's a lot of messes. Yeah, a lot of, <laughs> yeah. a lot don't of know how Temple the was state. able to.
2: Yeah, you don't know how Temple was able to kind of keep this, this this momentum going. They they recruited their area pretty well. Like I just took a scan through the roster and I'd say uh, about a 75% of their players are from that Pennsylvania or, or from Pennsylvania or, or Maryland or, or somewhere in that region. You know, yeah. They're, they're some, not going very, yeah. They're not going
1: very far, but right. but they'll dip into, they'll come dip into Florida for guys too. Mm-hmm. They, they do a pretty good job of like dipping out of state, out of area to get what they need. And those three guys you mentioned are all uh you got a Richard Jr. and then the other two guys, the other two receivers are both graduate level. So in one from while. Miami. Yep.
0: So
4: but at keep least the, one was keep from keep Miami. this in mind, Steve. Yeah. Keep this in mind, Steve, that like I'm from that area. Like <laughs> high school football in that area sucks. Okay. <laughs> this is not like if you're getting high school basketball players in Philadelphia, you're getting like the best of the best. Like that's some of the best high school basketball in the country. But I've been to high school football games up there. Um, I was I was in a high school up there. Like it's trash. Like it's really bad football. It's painful to watch. Like, like Ale- Alec, So just keep fine. that in mind.
2: But like if you're getting the top guys at these schools, like they're top, I, I hate to say it, top guys at at uh, up in Pennsylvania and the and the New England area. Some of those guys are better than some of the three stars that you can get down here in Florida. That's incorrect.
1: I saw when I was at a small D2 in West Virginia and Lakeland went up and played. And it wasn't even a good Lakeland team. It was a pretty decent Lakeland team. They went up and played like the best Catholic school in Pennsylvania. And they beat them so bad. Their players said after the game, I thought they had 14 guys on the field. Yeah. Well, that's different. No, that's
2: not, that's a Catholic school
1: though. That's not the same
2: sport. <laughs> no, that's the good football.
1: Yeah, I know. No, so like, listen, it's not I the, the same sport be, if you so. go above – it's not the same sport if you go 30 minutes above Tampa. It's definitely <laughs> not the same sport if you go from Tampa to Pennsylvania.
4: I, I have a cousin who is an assistant coach um, at a, at a Catholic high school up that way. And I went up and I was like, oh, sure. I'll come. You'll watch kids. And I, said, and I even said, like, you know, um, if you've gotten kids that are very good, you know, get me a tape. I'll pass along. This is like years and years ago to. I'll set up, give it along. I go to the game and I'm like, like after the first quarter, I'm like, there's not one kid on this. Field who could sniff <laughs> division one. And, and honestly, those kids like, and, and by the way, that was like a winning team up there. Those it's just, it's like watching a different sport. And now what those kids are being recruited to, like all those high schools, up there, it's all D2 and D3. Like there's a big D3 influence, like everybody in PA, there's only three D1 schools in, in PA, but like the, the rest of it, it's all D2 and D3 kids. And it's so even if Temple's getting, like, the best, what? Yeah, the PSAC. Yeah. Yeah, my, yeah, my, my cousins were all PSAC swimmers that uh, town. Um So, like, that's where they all go. So, like, it's not even – the fact that Temple is getting the best kids out of PA means they're still getting crappy kids.
2: <laughs> right. And you know like, what? Those crappy sorry, kids, they're about to not. beat the hell
4: out of us on Saturday. <laughs> yes, they are. That's the problem. <laughs> Now, if this was a basketball game, like you go to high school basketball up there, it's a whole different world. Like it's, it's mm-hmm. 6,000 people in the gym and like, you know, I mean, it's not just Kobe Bryant with Laura Marion. It's like everybody is good. I went to my, my the high school that I went to for a year before I moved back to Florida. We had uh, two kids who ended up playing at Temple and like the gym was packed every night. Like that's just what it was, you know, but it's just it's a whole different world up there. And Catholic basketball is better than public school basketball. So and,
0: um, in PA. I will say there's a guy that I work with at, at my real job who uh, played college football at Rhode Island and he was the New Hampshire player of the year. I think it's like the Gatorade New Hampshire player of the year. And he ended up at Rhode Island. He was great. at yeah. Rhode Island, <laughs> <laughs> But that's where you just kind of end up when you're up there. Like, yeah. you to say, basically above the Mason Dixon line, you're, it's a crap shoot. Right. Exactly. You, you can pull some kids out of Rose. And
4: if you're really that good, like Penn state or, some big 10 school is going to be all over you.
0: Right. So, yeah. So we'll see. Uh, I, I honestly, I, I think we should just probably go into predictions. I, I feel so bad about this game already. Um, I don't want to, I really don't want to feel worse. All right, let's do it. Uh, prediction time. Let's, uh, let's switch it up. Let's go Vito. What's your prediction?
3: I mean, Temple's only played one game, but uh, I mean, at this point, uh, w- we have to see it to believe it. That's kind of where I'm at. And it's going to be a while. It's another away game. Man, this this has like 38 10 written all over it. Temple. That's my prediction. Temple, yeah.
0: Temple. All right, Colin, let's see what you got. <laughs> I'm,
4: um, I can't believe I'm going to do this. You're an idiot. Um, <laughs> after weeks like last week, teams go in one of two directions. They either tank it for the rest of the year and you're gonna get a roll of stamps that's just gonna get even worse or they dig a little bit deeper and find something and decide to commit um and at least some of the team gets bought in. and i'm going with the latter in a stunner usf 31 temple 27.
2: money line sure when doing this too i know i'm the one that's (laughs) supposed to give the stupid prediction yeah.
4: <laughs> no, USF I, has I, never beaten Temple in Philly before. In Philly, they've never done it in Philly. I won't be there, so naturally they'll win because I did every other USF Temple game. But I,
0: I will say Temple did break the streak last year by being the first road team to win a game in the series. So I mean, we all know once the, once the seal's broken, it just flows. So you never know.
4: Yeah. I, I maybe Revenge, I'm the jinx. baby. <laughs> no, my, myself and my family won't be there. Um, I'm not traveling for bad football in the middle of a pandemic. So that's why I'm not going, but have fun. Um, yeah? Have fun oh, yeah, 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 exactly. Right. <laughs> but yeah, I'm not, I'm not going. So I just, this team's going to break one of two ways. Either they're going to pull pull together and find a way to win. And they're definitely playing a beatable team. Um, or they're just going to play the... And if they lose, by the way, if they lose this weekend, if they mail it in and they look as bad as like a 38-10, like Vito said, uh, we're not winning a game this year. It's over. I
1: should have said last week. Yeah.
3: yeah. I so, don't agree with that statement, but I do think that this is another... I mean, I'm just saying that if that was it, that redemption game happens later on, but being an away game... Uh, sorry. Moving on.
1: So. Um. Yeah, it's... If these teams were both fully healthy, I may think a little bit different. But there's just been so much stuff going on with USF. Um, I think like 34 to nine, Temple.
0: Yeah, that's a good pick.
1: I, mean, I wanted to go 38 to 10, Vito. All my picks have been close to Vito's. I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing, Vito. We're right on. We're 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 right on same wavelength. Like,
0: same yeah, You guys week.
1: are two peas in a pod. Yeah. <laughs>
0: All right, so here's what I'm thinking. Temple, I mean, effectively put up 30 points against Navy, who's bad, but they also limit possessions. So they could probably have gotten up to the 40. So I'm going to go 40-17 Temple. USF hasn't scored more than 17 points uh, versus Temple uh, since 2017. They scored seven points against Ta- Temple over the, their last six quarters because USF took a 17-0 lead into halftime against Temple two years ago and blew the lead and never scored in the second half. And then they only scored seven points last year. So in the last six quarters against Temple, USF has scored seven points. It, I don't see it changing much. I think the offensive line is just as atrocious as it was last year. And uh, again, USF was sacked nine times. I cannot harp on that. Enough. They were sacked nine times. They averaged under two yards a carry last year versus this Temple team. It's not changing anytime soon. Temple's going to blitz the bejesus out of this team. You're going to have to do something different. And I don't think they have the horses to do it.
4: So that's. And by theory. the way, intellectually, I agree with all of you. I do. Yeah. I think that's, I mean, by the numbers and by what I've seen, I do. But this is I it's think gut. USF it's a gut thing. The, what it's a gut thing right there. No, it's it's a it's a gut thing. Yeah. Exactly. It's the I think USF isn't as bad as they've played. And I think now they're either gonna show it or they're not. I think they do. Um, but do I have anything beyond like my own two eyes seeing that there's better talent on this team than we're showing right now? No. I mean we're a bad football team anyway but we're playing even worse than a bad football team. And I just think we can play enough to play like some mediocre enough. If we really get fired up to be a temple team, that's just as big as shit fire. So
2: I'm just
3: convinced after 2015 that like, we're not going <laughs> to, that all of a sudden it's going to be one explosion game and go like, Oh, okay. That's what we're going for. And it may not be consistent, but that might happen. Might not happen this year. Might happen next year or a year after, but like it would be one of those where it, the progression necessarily might not be there, but it'll be like, "aha," you'll have that giant, you know, eureka moment. So I can see where Colin's coming from there.
0: And and finally, last but not least, Robert steeg What is your prediction for this game? Um.
2: Well, I'll start this off by saying um, I've been wrong this entire year. Why? And so um, you know, last game especially. Was uh, was was pretty pretty heartbreaking um, for my prediction um, to to be wrong in, in the first quarter as quick as we did. Uh, that was that was disheartening. Um, so I took a lot of thought and and I decided to change my prediction this week. It, I I know it's crazy, but I decided we're going uh, we're going a little bit different route. Um, so I I I think we're gonna solve some issues this week. I think I think we can get field goal kicking back in the line. I think special teams probably. Probably gonna figure it out uh with the dedicated special teams coach um i loved what i what i saw in jordan mcleod um I, I think he's the guy that you kind of have to build this offense around and when you get your speed guys out in the public like that you know all, all hills are gonna break loose i think the defense is going to be healthy i think they're going to play good 52 to 10 usf wins temple scores on the opening drive kick field goal they look pretty good USF settles in, just shuts them out, shuts the door. And then evidently what's gonna end up happening is they're actually gonna take um some of the USF media from the press box and actually suit them up so they can play in the fourth quarter. And then they'll and then and then Temple will score a touchdown in the fourth. Okay.
0: Uh-huh.
4: Will Will Turner getting on the field. I like it.
2: Yeah, Will Anybody Turner see- starting corner. He's gonna get burned though for for a sixty-five-yard touchdown pass. Yeah, sounds about right.
0: Yeah, so I think that's it. I think we 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 suck. It's going to be okay. We'll figure it out in two years. Don't worry about this year. Enjoy the ride. There's football for now. Go Bulls. Go
4: Bulls. Go Bulls.